And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to From the Rookery, a podcast about life following Watford Football Club. Brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, it's Sunday after Watford lost 2-0 away at Huddersfield Town yesterday. Uh, and we're, we're going to have a chat uh, about that, what is life at the moment like. With me is Jason. Good morning. And Mike. Yes, good morning. Life as a Watford fan. Eh? I mean, we're going to go on to talk about that, but I did want to start, John, I hope you don't mind, but just by saying to everyone listening, really, obviously, there are other events in the world. Yesterday, big announcements over the weekend about about lockdown and so on and so forth. People's plans changed at the last minute. And it's all of a sudden looking like a, a very, very difficult period of time for for all of us, really. So I just wanted to say to everyone, stick with it, look after each other. Um, and of course, if we can be of any help, you know, we're on social media, do do let us know, DMs and all that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, look after each other, because while we're going to talk about Watford and it's been a seismic 24 hours for Watford, there are bigger things happening out there. So look after each other. Yeah, I mean, I what I like about this is that it's a distraction. Mm. It's a distraction of the soap opera that is Watford football. Club. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's always, a, 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 it's always good to have distractions that can help get through things. But Jason, before we, we get on to the whole thing that we all know we're going to talk about and the exit of Vladimir Ivic, uh, another Watford manager exited, uh, let's talk about what actually happened yesterday. Uh, it was a game away at uh, Huddersfield Town. There were some changes. Troy Dini didn't start, Andre Gray did. Pariza didn't start. He was on the bench also. And from the get-go, it felt a little bit weird. And the game was very weird, wasn't it? It was It was strange, wasn't it? I mean, if you looked at the first half, if you took the goals away from the first half, we seemed to be playing most of the football. Well, that's probably down to the fact that we gave them two goals and we did literally give them two goals early doors. And it just seemed to, I don't know, just, just set a predictable pattern for the rest of the game. You you at that point probably knew that Huddersfield would just sit back and soak up the pressure. Unusually we had quite a high number of shots. We seemed to be shooting on sight. It was almost as if um GT had got into the dressing room and said, You need to get your ten shots away minimum. Um, so it's a shame well, that the first two shots went straight into our own feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the trouble. And and frankly I I hate to say it, but I almost lost interest in the game. It was mm. it was terrible yesterday. I thought I, it just felt like when we went two nil down, I just thought that's it. I I can't see us getting back into the into the game. It's gonna I knew exactly how it was gonna pan out, and it did. Well, that's that's the problem, isn't it, Jace? That n- never mind conceding two. 
is conceding one is is an issue for this for this side, and to concede two in the fashion that we did, you know, Ben Foster, very difficult to be too critical of him because he's again he's been he's been superb for for large parts of this season. He has dawdled a little bit on the ball. He has got his sort of clearances away increasingly late, and people a few people picked up on that yesterday. And obviously that'll be a learning curve for him. At least he's got some uh, close up video footage to uh, to examine of, of what <laughs> went, went exact, exactly wrong. And, and and I did think the Capu own goal was was entirely representative of his of his contribution since he's come back from his in, inverted comrades injury when he didn't surface against Rotherham. He's sort of a, a sort of half-hearted uh, swipe at the ball, body all wrong. Robbo called him out on it quite rightly at half time. Um, on Hornet Hive, just said it was it was pathetic. He didn't want to get ahead on it, and he just sort of waved a foot at it, and in, and in it went. I mean, it was it was pathetic from from Kapu. And then for us to end up at two nil down, we can't come back from one nil down. The, the problem I had with the with from the from the minute that that team took to the pitch was it was the exact opposite of what we knew this team needed. We've all talked about it, it needing to click. We've all talked about us needing to impose ourselves on a game. That needs some sort of attacking thrust. And you could argue that Saar was playing up top with, with Andre Gray. It didn't look like it to me. I think Gray was the lone striker. When we've all known that, that we, 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 we need to kickstart this somehow. And to do that, we needed to take a gamble. And we went backwards in terms of the approach, I felt, and like you say, Jason, at 2-0 down, you can forget it. You can start wrapping your Christmas presents. You can start on the on the whiskey. You can start mowing the lawn, whatever. There's no way this Watford side is coming back from that, especially taking into account the nature of the of the goals and, we, and, how, and how, they, how they're going to react. Yeah, and I, I, I say I, I felt like I lost interest, and it just felt like team and on the sides, they lost interest as well because the, the, the changes that were made later in the game the sort of switches around in formation. It was almost like it was, let, let's, let's have a go at this. Let's just try a different formation. Let's, are they playing football manager or something? Yeah, that, this isn't working. Let's, let's, let's try three, five, two. Now let's try four, three, three. Let's see what happens here. And then changing the fullbacks. <laughs> yeah. That, that to me just felt like, right, you two need some game time. We're not going to get back into this. Just go out there and get some minutes in your legs. Results gone. It, it just felt like they'd given up. There were, I mean, they did carve out a couple of sort of scuffles in and around the, the area, didn't they? There were a couple of sort of decent-ish chances that, that on another day they might have might have smuggled in. But I really don't think that if they'd have got back to to all, we'd be having any different a conversation about the way the game panned out. It was, um, it felt to me, you know, everyone that listens to the podcast for the last ten years will know I'm not a master tactician, but it, it felt like that team was incorrectly set up to change the course of the season to change the course of the the performances to change the course of the morale and to change the course of the belief in the team and the head coach for anyone with a vested interest it was it it felt to me like and it's obviously you know captain hindsight here it felt like a white flag before we'd even even started now admittedly you know it was on the Huddersfield town preview show which was interesting to to get an opposition view they were still of the view that Watford are obviously doing really well but Huddersfield had won three in a row at home so they obviously had some confidence at home but they'd also lost five nil at Bournemouth so we had two stats to look at going into that game either it's a team with superb home form or it's a team that's been relegated alongside us has stuck five past them now which 
one of those stats would you look to sort of hone in on if you were a team going for promotion? I know which one we did, and I know which one we should have done. And, Jace, you said you ran out of patience. I did, I did as well. I watched it. Of course I did. But I know people, plenty of people who no longer watch. Now, I think there's a whole host of reasons for that. The, the, watching it different, watching it on TV is very, very different to watching it at a game. The John Smith Stadium, it's a, a, a magnificent place to go. It's a really great away trip. No doubt Watford would have taken, just before Christmas, Watford would have taken a big away following. So it is different. But it's also different in a lot of other ways in as much as it's attritional to watch. It's difficult to watch. A, because of the tactics, and I'm afraid to say it, B, because of the performances of the players. It is unpleasant as it is unentertaining and there's a whole host of of issues a whole host of people to blame but what's being served up at the moment what's being served up yesterday was pathetic and that may be the strongest reason maybe it was the straw that broke the camel's back but that was the last game that Vladimir Ivic uh, was in charge of as Watford head coach and late last night Watford put out a statement saying that he has parted ways and that's what we're going to talk about next Surprise, surprise. Let's talk about Ivic first. Vlad, Vladimir, whatever you want to call him, however much friendly you are with him. Jason, what did he do for you? What did he do wrong in this 20 games or so he was in charge? Well, that's a, that's a big question, I think. Um, I think it's clear to say that we weren't inspired or excited by the football, were we? Um, I, don't, I don't think I was. There were maybe one or two games where... Certainly, the Preston game where we looked like we could cut cut sides asunder. Other than that, it was in some cases it was clinging on. In some cases, it just felt like we'll get the goal and then we'll just soak it up. We weren't sort of putting teams to the sword. We weren't looking like a team that could sort of run away with the divisions. Probably the wrong sort of phrase to use, but with the squad that we've got, we were hoping that we were going to be challenging for automatic promotion, and that may still happen but we didn't look like we would scare teams. When we announced our squad at the start of the season, okay, there were some names on there that we knew were going to go. And fans of other clubs were looking at it going, wow, that's that's amazing, that's cheating, that's not fair. The fans were worried about the threat that Watford could cause. You look at the games, we are nowhere near that. And that set us off on the back foot straight away because teams quite quickly saw they had nothing to fear about Watford. Um, and they could come to Vicarage Road or uh, away from home and they would be in our faces and we struggled to deal with that and that was the way we were set up to play and and that was probably the biggest thing for me. 20 league games this season and I think I can say without fear of too much contradiction 18 poor to below average performances out of those I think and and Jason mentioned there that teams quickly um, cottoned on to the fact that that, that we weren't going to take the game to them. I think that, you know, <clears throat> Nottingham Forest really springs out at me, a team that were absolutely down on form, down on their luck, really struggling. They realised they could just coast to a point and stop the rot against us because Watford literally weren't going to do anything. They posed no threat in the game. There was no willingness to impose themselves on the game. Um, they may as well have shaken hands after one minute and, and taken the point, saved the kit man a job of washing the kit. Watford get home in an early, early night. The the performances have been insipid, passive, disinterested. Um, and the, and like I say, the, the la- fact that they haven't decided or wanted to or been willing to impose themselves on games has been 
an affront, I think, to us as supporters. It's been limp, uninspiring. Ultimately, it could well could well cost them because they find themselves adrift of Tosplot almost by, by 10 points. They're lucky it's not more. And, you know, we're talking about the manager at the moment and some of that, you know, they, they have to be set up a certain way to go out and play like that. It's it's safety first um, for all of its um, protestations. There were several reasons why it was safety first, and I absolutely get that. First one was because this is a new team, he's developing it, and he'd never really had a consistent team. Mm. You know, there were many things working against him. Uh, he never had a consistent team, and, and not until 10 games in, whatever it was, mid-October, he didn't have the knowledge of who would be in his squad 100%. No. There's no way he could start planning. But then also, he was dealing with a squad that was mentally scarred from last year. Yeah. And there's no getting away from that. And almost in many ways, I see as he had a club, a team that was mentally scarred, but that squad didn't turn up until about late October. I do have sympathy. Again, I always say this, this season is still being played out against the backdrop of very, very uncertain times, a difficult time for Watford, relegated, all the all the nuts and bolts that come with that, the pandemic, all the issues that come with that, fans in the ground, fans not in the ground, everything that comes with that. I get it. But he has a sheet of paper and he can look at, right, he's likely to go. You know, he will have known that Suarez and Estupinian were going to go. He just will have known that. That's the fact. He will have known that De La Faye wasn't going to play. He's going to know that Pereira wasn't going to play. He's going to know that De Curo was going to be stuck. It's, it's as clear as day. And OK, he could put a little asterisk next to them and say, right, if they're still here, that's how, how I'll, I'll utilise them. It's a fair point, but it, it doesn't really excuse, I don't think, being not being prepared. He had a full pre-season as, as much as anyone had a pre-season and he knows who's going to be in the squad. He can work up to his job of him and his staff to talk to the owners um, and to understand what the likelihood is of who's going to be there and work out how he gets the best out of that team. He evidently wasn't able to do it pretty much from from day one. Your point, John, about Watford being scarred, I think is is a good one. I think they're still playing like they're worried about conceding and worried about losing. They're more worried about losing than they are focused on winning, which absolutely can come from a year of turmoil and 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 in in the Premier League. You know they were they were found it very very difficult for the majority of the season, and ended up battered and bruised and, and relegated. So to turn that round is obviously an issue. But look at who's first and look at who's second. Um, we mentioned Bournemouth putting five past Huddersfield, who we've just lost 2-0 to, and, we, and Norwich are galloping off into the distance. So yes, you do get bruised by relegation, but it doesn't have to be terminal. You don't have to c- completely retreat into your shells. No, but you have to deal with it properly. You have to deal with it And it felt like Bournemouth dealt with it properly by not changing too much. Because no, but they've players. Yeah, but, but that's not too much change. It wasn't like, let's let's start well, fresh with their manager it was a uh... eddie howe who's who's been at the helm for for a long time and has and been an intrinsic part of their their rise and success is was is no longer there so they have but to. They, but they, let's they, focus on they, what yeah, for yeah. john but they, yeah okay and and his <laughs> listen to you his job <laughs> yeah his job is is to deal with that as the head coach it's a difficult job absolutely a very very difficult job so yes vladimirovich had a difficult job and i recognize that but if he can't turn that round, if he can't break that mental cycle of 
being feeling negative or worried or or not being able to express themselves and I'm afraid he's not the right man for the job you know if your head teacher John cannot motivate his staff then unfortunately for that head teacher he's not not doing the job is he uh, if if everyone in the school is isn't motivated the same in my place of work the same with Jason's that it's it's difficult it absolutely is you've got so much underneath you and a lot that you can't control but that's the job and he he was clearly unable to do it it was nowhere near good enough as 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 Jason said they they have at no stage at no time looked like a team who is likely to threaten for 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 promotion and there are lots of different fat, factors involved in that one that can be changed and changed quickly is the head coach and it can come as absolutely no surprise to anyone that watches Watford week in, week in, week out, that Vladimir Ivic has been dismissed. He wasn't able to mould this Watford side into anything like, anything even approaching a side that is going to be seriously challenging for promotion. We need to look at the players as well, though. We really need to look at the players. I mentioned Etienne Capou and his own goal yesterday, and I think that sums up, for me, in the main the this season so far indifferent ill-disciplined and ill-focused but tactically jason you know there was a, as a clip that was shared on social media with us last night from 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 quest you know football on quest whatever it's called um and you know saying that we didn't have a definition we didn't know what mm. watford was mm. no one knew as a footballing team what watford was did you even get an idea about what he was trying to make us be it, it seemed to be hard to beat and I don't know if that's come from the point of view that we were easy to beat last season. He's got hold of a, of a bunch of players that had a losing mentality and he needed to, to sort them out to, to be a disciplinarian. And it was to, to frustrate teams, I think. And then just with the, the pace and the supposed power that we had up front to then hit them on the, the counter and use our quality to then win the games but but we just didn't show that quality that and and again it's sort of going back to the problem so whilst you can see okay that's that's the modern game a lot of teams are set up to defend first and then hit teams on the counter but as one of the supposed threats in that division are there going to be that many teams that are actually going to be drawn out to actually attack us to offer anything for us to soak up, I I don't think we are, and I think I think that's where part of the problem has come from. So so the setup was hard to beat, soak it up, hit them on the counter against teams that aren't going to attack us anyway. That's not going to work. I think that's a terrific assessment, Jason. I really do, and I think that's it's, it's been completely borne out, hasn't it? Because and and the bottom line is, Watford are better than the teams they're playing. And that and that's the issue. The, the teams are looking at Watford, thinking if we can get out of this with a point, then that's a good result, home or away for them. Watford were almost every single week completely unable to answer the question that was that was offered them. When we've seen teams willing to, to 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 take a step forward, Brentford absolutely annihilated us in the first half with some decent football, and actually forced Watford to play some decent-ish football in the um, by doing so. Cardiff took a different approach, got on the front foot in a slightly less, absolutely no disrespect to Cardiff here, but a slightly less cultured way. Um, and again, they only beat us 1-0, but the reality is they demolished us. 
didn't they, in terms of their their strength and movement and commitment and determination to actually do something from the game. And Watford have just been made to look absolutely passive and insipid in large parts of virtually every single game. And what what should have happened, and this is a failing, I think, of both head coach and players, is that they should have been out there. And while they've got the time just knocking the ball around from left to right and back um, for sort of 75% of the game, they should have realised, oh, hang on a minute, this lot aren't actually that good. They're not going to ask us that many questions. We're better than them. I'm an international. You're an international. Let's roll our sleeves up and take the game to them and win it. And that at no stage has happened. And I think you're right, Jace. Our team set up knowing that they could probably get a point with fairly easily, in all, in all honesty, and that would suit them. No supporter of any opposition team is going to be disappointed with with a draw against um, newly relegated Watford with their well-publicised, high-quality squad, are they? And Watford, what Watford should have realised very, very quickly is that they can take these players on. They can beat these teams. And it would seem seemingly escaped Vladimirovic entirely. And also the players as well. They, they, they weren't, whether that was coached out of them or they, whether they weren't permitted to sort of call audibles out there and, and, and start sort of imposing themselves on the game. They were just happy to, seemingly happy to get in with a, with a point or a 1-0 win as well. And look, I have to say, if we had looked really, really solid in picking up those 1-0 wins, ugly 1-0 wins, and we knew we were going to get them every game because that we would, I don't know, on 50 minutes we'd go all out and we'd, we'd force a, a goal, then retreat and, and, and defend for, for, for the rest of the game. I know that's not a real-life tactic, but you know what I mean? If we, if, I'd, I'd, I don't mind it being attritional if we would look like we were good at it and we would force the win, force the goal, and then, and then shut up shop. You know, 31-0 wins, ugly 1-0 wins, I take it all day long. I don't mind that. I do not need to be entertained. I do not need to, for it to be free-flowing football. I don't care. If Watford get back up, brilliant. But they at no time did they look in control of their own destiny. It was beyond flat. And Jason's point is such a good one about not, us not having anything to soak up and hit on the hit on the counter because it that was exactly it there was two players it was like the um the, the Harry Enfield sketch called one for the sort of slight age age group here but um was it when Miles Chumley Warner's commentating on the football like, <laughs> yes he passed it to Kiko Firmino who passed it back to Cathcart who passed it back to Foster who passed it to Gabacelli who looks up and he turns around and passes it back to Cathcart and you know we did that then the opposition did it for a bit and repeat and, until the the end of the game really with that with a few noticeable exceptions but what was really interesting Mike, is that i've started putting this thing together we're not going to play it this week about trying to find out how other teams got promoted in recent mm. years and a massive part of it which we'll hear probably maybe the next in a couple podcast time is is the fact that we they all scored goals mm. um we can't score goals because we don't have the attacking line the one thing though we didn't have yesterday not to dwell on that game too off much, but was Troy Deeney. And he's one factor in all this that we haven't discussed. Well, we have discussed him for many, many years. And on several occasions, we said, is it time for him to go? Uh, but then he's come back and he's played well and he's scored goals. Uh, and we've gone, isn't he great? And we did that last week. You and Adam had a, a conversation about the positivity about Troy Deeney being back in this squad and how he was on, on fire. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be that he wasn't on the pitch yesterday. He was on the bench to fill the bench. He was never going to go on the pitch for disciplinary 
reasons. Mm. That's scary because that isn't just Ivic. And it feels like it isn't just Ivic. It feels like that's been there a very long time and it's not been dealt with. I'm just going to pick pick you up on something, John. Just say we haven't got the, the striking line and you may have meant n- not available yesterday. Well, Troy Deeney, Andre Gray, Steve Paparizza, who's, who's looked good, Glenn Murray, who has got proven experience in the Championship and the Premier League, completely cast aside for, for I don't know why, uh, Jao Pedro, Ismail Assar, they could all play as striker. Uh, Isaac, Isaac, success! <laughs> Injured. Injured, <laughs> um, inexperienced or over the hill? I think there are attacking options there. I think they've, they've, they've been chosen, they haven't been utilised correctly so I take slight umbrage to, to to that point. However, I think you're, the, I think there's a, I think you Troy Deeney thing yesterday is the whole thing is bigger than that incident, but it's a useful, it's a useful little nugget to look at a wider malaise, I think, and a wider concern which which you were getting at. Obviously, we won't know what the what the issue with was with with Troy Deeney yesterday. That will will rightly be kept. Um, in in house and until his book th- comes out, <laughs> and I don't well, and it, a good book it will be, I'm sure. But I don't think we need to, to to speculate on on what it was. But I think you're right. I think it does point to issues throughout the club. I think the fact that Ivic was willing to sort of not throw him under the bus, but to to talk about it yesterday, he knew it was going to get knew it was going to get tongues tongues wagging. So. I doubt he would have said it if something hadn't happened. So something's obviously gone on. But we've got other, you know, we've had Andre Gray again um, flouting lockdown rules. He was on the pitch yesterday. There is a massive question mark over the discipline, over, I think, the the culture and the commitment and the focus of the squad. Now, I don't mean everyone, but there are obviously, I think, some players in there who aren't pulling their weight, who aren't focused enough. Who they aren't... are pulling their weight. They're pulling their own weight in their direction where yeah. they want to go. And I think that so we've made the uh, the hierarchy have made the, the decision uh, to get rid of Vladimir Ivic. I think Vladimir Ivic has had the same problem as Nigel Pearson. He's had the same problem as as Javi. He had the same problem as Matt Sari. He's had the same problem as Kike Sanchez-Flores. At some time... Whether it's once as soon as they've got to safety, got to an FA Cup final, they've all had issues getting this team to keep going, and that's a problem. And that speaks they they don't they've never driven on till the end of the season. They've never gone the extra mile. They've never rolled their sleeves up and said, "Look, lads, this could be one of the best seasons in Watford's history if we just if we just stick with it and really focus." That's never happened. No manager, no head coach in this era has managed to do that. That's been a constant thorn in our side. We've talked, you know, post Christmas from the rookery ends have always been, let's hope this slide doesn't happen that has happened that that happened the year before. And every season started from the start, and this year it's just carried on. Now we've had lots of different head coaches in that time. If it's the disciplinarian, Pearson and Shakespeare, the the decent man manager. Kike coming back, knows the place, knows the players. Matsari, the master tactician. Silva, the good footballer. Javi, the nice guy. None of them 
have managed to get a consistent tune out of this Watford side. Now, you cannot tell me that, and, and, and people will say that, that Watford haven't been backed in the transfer market. Sure, they've made massive mistakes and there's gaps in the squad. But you cannot tell me that there aren't decent players there that aren't performing to their, 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 the level they should be. All too often, their people are phoning it in on the pitch. So you dread to think, if, they, if they're phoning it in on the pitch, what are they doing off it? Right, because the ninety minutes is is the time that footballers love. You know, we've seen Ben Foster's videos and how excited he gets on a match day. That's the time they come to life. So you can hate training, you can hate the spotlight, you can hate whatever about being a footballer. But those ninety minutes are, are your time to shine. So if they're not doing it, then what the hell are they doing um, when they're having to to roll out of bed and and bust a gut doing laps and boring drills and stuff? There's there is something amiss in that squad and we need to root out people if it said he'd do it at the start it's obviously more difficult than that because you can't just get rid of players you know if if if, if, if you try to sell them and play and other teams don't want them you're, you're stuck with them but we we made a difficult decision with the head coach so we're going to face all the brick bats that come with a, another managerial change they now need to make a difficult decision with the January transfer window coming up. They need to root out the bad wood. And I don't care if it's someone who has a monetary value, a perceived monetary value. I don't care if it's someone who has got perceived quality. If you are not prepared to put a shift in during training, if you're not prepared to be an ambassador for the club, if you're not prepared to, to try and help your teammates, and if you are not prepared to give it all on the pitch, you need to be gone. That is what is dragging this team and dragging this club and dragging, dragging this decent squad down. And it doesn't matter who comes in as head coach, Pep Guardiola or Willy Wonka. If you do not get rid of the bad elements of this squad, we are going to see the same time and time again. And I am sick of it. I would rather finish fourth from bottom with a team that goes out and busts a gut and gives it everything than a team that swans around with seemingly absolutely no no comeback just waste their talent waste our time and squanders the legacy that we were so close to having in place at Watford they've got rid of the head coach fine he wasn't the right man for the job I don't think it was the right decision now let's make the really tricky decisions and root out these bad bad eggs that are that are ruining our football club at the moment. This isn't necessarily Troy Deeney for me. We're using that that little story as a catalyst. There's obviously things like that happening far too often, and I will not put up with it anymore. People are stopping watching Watford, right? And there's a, there's a reason for that, and it's not all, all down to the... People feel detached, and they're physically detached, but they will continue to feel detached while they feel that the players aren't giving it their all. They're not doing it properly. They're not. They're they're living our dreams for us, and they're not doing it. And people will just switch off because it's not good enough. The thing is, you say it's the players, and that absolutely has to happen. But it isn't just there. You 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 use the word culture, and the culture of this team, this squad, this club, isn't right and hasn't been for a while. And that lands only at one person's feet, and that's Gino Pozzo, the aloof Gino Pozzo, who at this point needs to speak. He needs to explain himself, not through Scott Duxbury. He needs to say, that, hello, hello, lads, I'm Gino, I'm going to change things. Because he's this, this character who we have no idea what he's about at all. And I get why you want to keep him separate, but this feels like 
for the first time where he does need to say something because if you go on what he's him and Scott and what the club have been doing, it's insanity. Repeating the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome, is the definition of insanity. And it just doesn't make sense without him standing up and saying, look, we are changing it. This is why we're changing it. This is what we're thinking. He needs to share something with the club or else it will look like, because we don't have the, the, the detail behind him, like it's insanity. We had that we had that statement from Duxbury in the summer, didn't we? Or supposedly joint statement from Duxbury and, and, and Gino saying, yes, we've done things wrong. We got it wrong. Now we're going to do we're, we're going to make it right and do what we need to do to get back to the Premier League. And that just feels like a load of fluff at the moment. It just feels like they were just putting words out there just to try and placate us because it doesn't look like anything's changed. And I think you're right. We need Gino to stand up and actually front up and, and tell us what the plan is. I mean, I, I disagree very, very slightly. I mean, I think in terms of the plan with, with Ivic, it was clear. Uh, disciplinarian and stop shipping goals. Because similar to when we, when we, you know, very controversially got rid of Slavisa Jukanovic after getting promotion and brought in Kike. So that was a very clear decision because Kike was a much more pragmatic um, pragmatic head coach as was shown in those first couple of games in the Premier League we kept it tight we got draws and then incrementally got better and managed to win games so that was there was a plan there and it worked and I think there was a plan here uh, with with Ivic coming in to be to be tough to deal with some of the the players who who perhaps aren't as uh, focused as they should be and to keep it tight and to and to take it from there so there was obviously some sort of plan it obviously didn't work out so and we know what's going to happen it's come as come as no surprise i think how how different would it be if gino said something john i don't I, people would like to hear from him but what's what's he going to say i'll tell you what he's going to say is we're going to do our level best to bring in a head coach that can get the the best out of the the group of players that we have at our disposal as we bid to, to yeah, return to the Premier that's League. A statement. That's a statement. We don't need a statement. We need him here. He needs a conversation with somebody. I'm not saying it's someone not in the club. He needs a conversation with somebody because he's been at this club, but we have no idea about him. And now, now is the time. I was all right with it for a bit, but I think we need to hear from him. I don't want to get caught up in, in arguing about that point because I think he's made he's obviously made lots of mistakes because the culture underneath him is evidently wrong. And that so the buck does stop with him. And that's why they do need to make changes. And they need to be wholesale ones, I think, because otherwise it's just going to be, you know, a, a death spiral, isn't it? That You know, the players just get increasingly um, uninspired. New head coach, new head coach, on and on and on. And, and Watford don't get to, to where they need need to be so the bottom line is the the buck does stop there because the the club isn't isn't working is it the playing staff aren't performing to their to their to the to the level they should be and we keep having to change a head coach because of that so it's nothing will change unless unless they stop that the, the playing staff need to perform so have they delivered the the, the a good enough squad is the question if they haven't, what are they doing to make sure that the squad they do have performs to their absolute premium ability, give their absolute all? Is the head coach, knowing the squad that they've got, because a lot of them have been there for a long time, so knowing the personalities, knowing the issues that are there, if they haven't been able to move them on, are they bringing in a head coach that can deal with it? So you could argue they've failed to a degree on all three. They haven't got the right squad. 
they haven't been able to get they haven't been able to fully understand how this squad works and to um and to deal with them and to get the best out of them and they haven't they evidently haven't been able to source a head coach that can can deal with them the man that signs the checks the man that makes the ultimate decisions in my understanding is is going to be Gino and it's all gone wrong hasn't it you know we're still in touch at the top uh, nearly 10 points off the first place so that's they're disappearing into the distance we are still in touch at the top so it's not like the wheels have completely fallen off the car but it feels like we've been driving down the m1 for quite a few junctions now with three flat tires and gino's at the wheel he needs to pull over his car needs a very 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 solid mot they need to look inwards and they need to think right what have we done wrong here they've done an awful lot right yeah they just have and a lot of it's been down to luck but a lot of sport is down to luck a lot is down to circumstances it's about that little sprinkle of you know a little bit of luck and a little bit of good fortune and a little bit of things coming together you cut it's not a, an exact science so they've got it right sometimes they've got it wrong sometimes too now it's starting to get, look like they're getting it wrong on a on a regular basis doesn't it the, the last three head coaches have you know they've ended in a sort of slightly bizarre fashion, really, haven't they? Kike coming back was an odd one. Well, the two, Nigel... the three flat, flat tires called a crash. Yeah. Well, it feels like we we could be at the moment if some if something doesn't change. And those three elements: get the squad, get the people right, get the squad right, the talent right. I don't think we're far off that really for a tilt at the championship. You could argue that you know about left back, this, that, and the other. This squad, I'm sorry on paper is good enough to be challenging better than it is so the second question is how do you get this lot to perform and they're failing in that so where's the discipline where's the culture where these players know that failure isn't an option where they know that second best isn't good enough where they know that um, disciplinary issues aren't going to be tolerated where's that and where's the ability to find a coach that can come in and, and and implement that for them it's it's folding underneath them at the moment and they need to deal with that. Now, whether we hear from Gino saying that is, it's by the by for me. I, I, I kind of, I understand exactly where you're coming from and to call him aloof, I think is perhaps a little bit, a bit strong as well. The fact he chooses not to talk to the press. I think, you know, he's, is his, is his, is his right. And, you know, it, I don't think he's got anything other than the best interests at Watford at heart. But at the moment, the decisions are the wrong ones and we've ended up at a situation where and culture is the right word is all wrong is is all wrong there's some hard work required to fix it Gino and Scott need to to look at themselves how they do how they change that culture within the club and how they make that decision making process on bringing someone in that we don't need to change them again in 18 games half a year whatever it it, it just simply can't continue I don't it it it's, it feels like the club is rotting to me and that might be going a little bit over the top but that's what it feels like it feels like nothing we're not, we're not pulling together in the best times it feels like everyone's pulling together the supporters are on board the managers are on board the team are giving it everything the the subs are, are, are doing all they can to get to get game time um you know we're winning some games we're coming up short against others but then we do better in the next game there's none of that there's none of that. If anything else, it feels like we're getting sucked into a into a quicksand of of mediocrity and finger pointing, all of our own making. 
stand up, be strong, get rid of the nonsense, let people know that this is a club that's going places, but do that by your actions. Do that by setting the tone. Do that by letting people know that the second best won't be tolerated. Misbehaviour won't be tolerated. Poor discipline won't be tolerated. And bring in a coach, then he knows that players will have to act at a certain level or they will not be playing for Watford Football Club. That is difficult. But owning a football club and getting one into the Premier League is difficult. They need to work hard. They need to make difficult decisions. And the time to do it is now. We're the Orns, you're the Orns. Come on, you Orns! This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. So what actually did happen after that game against Huddersfield? Well, we're lucky to have Adam Levantalos part of the from the Rookin team. We're part of the Athletic Podcast Network, and Adam's full piece about what happened is on theathletic.com. And of course, you can get a subscription if you do not have one at the moment by going to theathletic.com forward slash end. Where at the moment you can get your own subscription and you can gift a subscription to a friend or family member, maybe a last minute Christmas present. But Mike caught up with Adam to find out what he found out about the hours after the Huddersfield Town game and who might be filling that role of Watford head coach. But Adam knew something was wrong when he arrived at the John Smith Stadium yesterday. I was literally the first person in the press box. I got an earlier train up um, and I got to the stadium and it's beautiful, tree lined. And I, I sort of got sort of <laughs> carried away with the sort of the beauty of it all. But then, you know, the press box was filling up around me. And then eventually, you know, there was a classic sort of mix up of passes and someone had been given my seat and all this sort of stuff. And long story short, it meant that I actually had to sit in the back row, had a comfy seat, which was nice, in the back row of the director's box. And then that means that you're even closer to the um, the hierarchy of uh, both clubs. Huddersfield's are very loud. It's like they've got a sort of a fan group in there. And then Watford's uh, hierarchy was, you know, Gino Pozzo, Cristiano Gioretta and Scott Duxbury. And they weren't far in front of me, actually. So it, it was unavoidable to see their emotions throughout the game. And, and, it, and as it panned out, I think their frustrations just sort of bubbled up and up and up. And then inevitably 
something was going to happen after the game. My son was watching um, Lemony Snicket's un- unfortunate series of events yesterday, which I thought was rather uh, apt, bearing in mind what we saw unfold at the at the John Smith Stadium. And what, what's your understanding, Adam, of what happened after the game? And, and, and yeah, how did what happened with, with Vlad ultimately? Well, I think it's a combination of issues and it wasn't just down to the performance at Huddersfield. I think certain elements of the day obviously did um, have an impact Obviously, the issue with with Troy Deeney, which um, you know the, the club have spoken about since, um, and I've learnt some details about, especially surrounding the build up to the game, and it has to do with you know them potentially setting up a meeting to discuss the fact that he'd been dropped, and Deeney went to see him, and Ivic wasn't there, and that seemingly has has sort of helped to cool the relationship um, between the two. That was obviously an issue. Um, I think ultimately having a player who has scored in three consecutive games, being your leader, being your most motivational player on the pitch and not playing him, you're, you're, you're taking a stand and ultimately you run the risk of cutting off your nose to spite your face. And, you know, if you're playing Andre Gray up top by himself, who's not in great form, you know, you're leaving Steeper Peritza um, on the bench with Dini when potentially Dini and Peritza as a partnership may well have been actually far better you're making things more difficult for yourself. And I think that that's at the, the crux of of the the issue with um, Ivic in the eyes of the hierarchy. Look, they knew what they were getting when they appointed him, but he didn't necessarily deliver as he was learning the, the territory in the championship. I think the fact that he was, he was basically making things more complicated than the championship almost deserves. You know, you know playing a possession-based game um, and you know trying to break down teams that are able to ultimately get two two banks of five in front of you if you're passing the ball around the back it makes it very very difficult you know playing to your strengths um, and I think that I think the hierarchy got pretty fed up with the fact that they they were losing an identity really you know you've got good attacking players you've got Saar you've got Semmer who like to get chalk on their boots and run at defenders, they were tucking in far too often and they were getting lost in a congested sort of central area of the pitch and that's very frustrating. That chimes true with me as well as a supporter. I think the identity thing is something that is is absolutely spot on. The, the Watford have completely lost their, their identity and as Jason and I and John spoke, I think we would totally agree, make it too, far too complicated, playing against, and mean this with all due respect, inferior sides and making it much, much harder than it had to be. And with that in mind, Adam, how quickly do you think questions were being asked by by Scott and Gino about about this disappointment? I think that they were willing to give him time, um, obviously. And I think that they also were very sort of uh, impressed with the, the, the way that he did deal with some difficult situations, especially early on. You know, a lot of players waiting to leave the club, a lot of uncertainty, um, you know, effectively getting on with things when he didn't, you know, get delivered the, the left back that he wanted to you know, in the absence of Messina and losing a Stupinian and, and things like that, um, and maybe not getting an extra creative midfielder that he, he would have wanted. Um, I think ultimately they, they would have been sort of impressed with that side of things and at the same time collecting points. 
you know, a difficult time, right? Let's sort of all adjust to this new league, right? Well, at least we're picking up points. It's not pretty, but, you know, I'm sure it will improve. But then I think that too many times, and this is, you know, one of the elements of the piece that I've written for for The Athletic, but I think it, it's almost went a bit further than than simply the, the style of play, which which wasn't working, even when some of the, the more senior players were coming back. And, and let's not forget, you know, he has had to deal with the COVID issue as well and having players drop out at the last minute. You know, Kiko Femenia was the, the last one. We've had other senior players as well. Um, Will Hughes hasn't been available and he could have made a, a really big difference. But I think that the squad did have issues in relation to certain things like the, the time that they were being given to to recover. And yes, it was a very relentless schedule, but I think the feeling that I got from speaking to various sources was that there could have been a little bit more um, breather time built in, not only for physical um, you know, well-being, but also mental well-being as well. I think everyone's sort of going through the mill a little bit and and to feel that you're sort of coming to work and you're being sort of, you know, heavily drilled and it's all getting a little bit monotonous, just getting a little bit too much. That's the impression that I got from speaking to to some of the people that have, you know, had an insight into what it's been like in the dressing room. So I think that that, that was a key issue as well. So it was just sort of a gradual attritional feeling which which basically came to a head at, at at Huddersfield as you say Adam it all it all came to a head at Huddersfield yesterday and what's your understanding of of events that that unfolded leading up to that that statement just confirming that that he'd gone the the post match interview was very interesting it, it also told a story as well of of another thing that I've sort of found out from from speaking to um various sources that know what's going on in the in the dressing room over the last sort of couple of months that Vladimir Ivich, you know, after a disappointing day at the office, was out of the dressing room like a flash. There wasn't like a big inquest. There wasn't a lot of words said. And I think that that's been a little bit surprising to some of the players in the, in the dressing room that, that there hasn't... I, yeah, but the, the silent treatment, I can understand sometimes. When there is a performance where you almost want to put it back onto the players and go, look, guys, that wasn't good enough and I'm going to leave it to you to, to stew on, you can use that as a tool. I'm sure it's been used by, you know, bigger and better managers and lesser managers than, than Vladimir Ivich uh, over the years. But I think that if that becomes a trend and you're almost trying to sort of create a, um, a band of brothers sort of uh, or a siege mentality um, environment, not giving feedback and not almost going, look, lads, I know we weren't at the best today but come on we'll get back on the training ground on monday we'll you know we'll, we'll go again the old cliche but at least there is that sort of cajoling element you know if you compare it to the um the sort of the words of, of ben foster when he's on the cycling gk at the end of at the end of games when he's he's trying to be upbeat yes sometimes that can be a little bit saccharine sweet and and a little bit unnecessary but if it's coming for your manager and you've got that sort of motivator then you know, I think that that can be that can be a good thing sometimes. I don't know. I can, I can understand that sometimes that sort of um, reserved and sort of cold, steely glare can can work at times. And and I I don't think that the 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 dressing room was completely united in you know not buying into his methods. I don't think that that was the case at all. But I just think you know going back to a post match feeling that sometimes you just need to be able to sort of disarm yourself and go all right lads yeah look we weren't at the races today but come on 
we're all human we'll we'll try we'll try our best next time so if you can at least change the gears when you're giving the feedback then i think that that does that does help but going back to your original question you know he came up to do the, do the press conference obviously the the discipline issue he mentioned about uh, troy dini and i asked him you know i said you know in these sort of circumstances when a head coach and a captain go head to head something has to give and give him his due it was probably the first time that i saw him let his guard down a little bit and speak in the sort of way that I would with sort of a friend when they're showing you their true emotion. And he sort of smiled. He sort of sort of chewed up his face a little bit and sort of went, well, I don't, I don't know what the outcome's going to be, you know, and, you know, I know my responsibility. I'm, I'm a head coach. Um, that's my answer. So I think he was quite philosophical in that sort of snapshot moment. And um, I think that probably told the story because, you know, a couple of hours later, he got a call from the hierarchy, was told that he was going to be um, no longer needed and that it was going to be down to the lawyers and, you know, his representative to sort out the, the severance um, between him and the club and, and the club move on. And they're going to have a, a new man in charge by the Norwich game. Fingers crossed if they can get, you know, around all the various regulations. And if it's a, if it's a foreign coach coming in, which we understand it's going to be, um, then they've got to get on with it. And I think that they pretty much had, had made the call by half time because there was one, one other thing and this is going back to sort of sitting at uh, sort of such close proximity to that hierarchy you know and, and I, <laughs> I I know that it must sort of sort of feel like I'm a, I'm a right nosy Parker I mean I've got a decent beak on me but you know I, I just think that <laughs> you know it's like I couldn't avoid but look it was so obvious in front of me that you know um, Cristiano Giretta, who's obviously the sporting director, and and he does this often. This isn't this isn't new, you know. We'll we'll just go down to the the technical area at half time, watch what the substitutes are doing at half time, blah 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 blah. Um, and he checked in with um, one of uh, Ivic's assistants just to sort of say, oh, you know, what's what's going on. And I remember that Adam Messina had sort of stripped stripped his bottom half down to shorts and socks otherwise that would have been quite a revelation <laughs> there's no fans here i can do what i want um no but he he'd stripped down so it looked as if he was going to be coming on so there seemed to be sort of sort of some questioning as to okay well, right fine i understand that but then but then he came back up and he was speaking to to duxbury and to and to gino pozzo and there sort of seemed to be a bit of you know a bit of a heated discussion as to well hang on what he's not doing this or he's not doing that or he's not doing this and a bit of like come on come on you know we're, we're it's been a poor first half we need to change things and then i think that probably then sort of start started to re-highlight the fact that hang on a minute we're not we're, we're not going to see Dini today we're not going to maybe be using someone that could make a difference but then to be fair to Ivic in that second half switched to a back four and, and Watford were were more purposeful. They did have opportunities. They could have got back into the game, but I just sort of think that the die had already been cast, to be honest. And I think it was a, a drip, drip, drip from from a, a four months of sort of soullessness, really. And and I think that Watford eventually was sort of they they were playing in in Ivic's image, and that's and it, it wasn't it wasn't you know great to watch, really, was it in the end? You mentioned drip, 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 and I think uh, summed it up quite nicely because in that second half, Ivic did have his his hood up on his on his Watford coat for a bit there. Yeah. I thought, crikey, it's going to take more than that to, to protect you from what's coming. A little bit disappointed, Adam. You didn't tell me when you were talking about the the three chaps sat in front of you that you didn't tell me uh, that when he got back to his seat, opened up his phone, phone and just googled available managers. That would have been a nice uh, <laughs> a nice little bow on the end of that uh, end of that. So Ivic is gone, Adam. And he did allude there to, to to the fact that they have got. 
potentially someone in their sights. Where are we at with that at the moment? What do, what do you know about who might be coming in to replace Vladimir Ivic? Well, um, I know that they want to appoint a, a young, motivational coach. You know, Gino Pozzo's perspective, we need a bit of sort of up and atom and a bit of energy and a bit of motivation. And I think that that's now what they are they are looking for. I know that there have been initial discussions held with uh, a man called Cisco Munoz, who some people may recognise his name because he was a good player back in the day, playing for Valencia under the stewardship of um, Rafa Benitez when they won La Liga uh, in 2003-04. They also won the UEFA Cup as well. He sort of puts Rafa Benitez down as, as sort of one of his inspirations, having had sort of success on, on the field with him. He also played in La Liga for, for other sides, Real Betis, Tenerife, um, Recreativo, Levante uh, as well. And then he actually went out and played in Georgia for Dynamo Tbilisi, and he ended up managing there as well over the last couple of years. So that's where he's been managing. He won the league um, last year, having taken over in August, had a reputation for attacking football, playing, you know, 4-2-3-1, 4-4-2, being sort of up and at him, focusing on, on the, the attacking third rather than sort of the, the Ivic style of, of possession-based football. There is a slight issue with his with his coaching licence. He's got a UEFA A licence, which, um, which, is, which is very good, but he doesn't have his pro licence yet. If you're working in the Premier League, you need your pro licence. If you're working up to championship level, um, a UEFA A licence is absolutely fine. Now, there is some sort of uncertainty, and I don't know this for definite as we speak at 12.55 on, on Sunday afternoon, whether he is the, the, the lone man that is going to be taking charge. Um, but I do know that then seemingly not particularly bothered about a big name coming in or someone that knows the territory. I think that they are thinking, look, we've got a, a strong enough squad with someone to come in, play to the, the strengths of the squad. And I mean, I do sound like a broken record. We've been in this situation so many times where they feel the hierarchy that basically what they need is a manager to, to play to the strengths of the team. Um, but at this time, I think it really, really does just need to be as simple as that you know get your best players in the best positions and don't overcomplicate things and I think probably improve the feel-good factor around the squad and and if this guy Munoz can come in if it's him by himself or him as an assistant to someone else um, he actually shares um, an agent with Javi Gracia I don't think it's going to be him making an emotional <laughs> return but there are a couple of other sort of more senior coaches that have worked uh, in Spain that are on their books so it might be a combination but it might just be Munoz by himself he might be he might be the man for the job on that Adam what would you say to to Watford supporters who are hearing this are, are heading to to um, Wikipedia and yes seeing a, a decent playing career but then looking at his managerial career it, it's in its infancy shall we say um, being being charitable and you know Dinamo Tbilisi professional club not going to fill many people with uh, with too much enthusiasm and excitement though and you know gymnastique in, in Spain you know he hasn't really been there he hasn't really done it as a manager and as we've said you know Week in, week out on the podcast. These are incredibly difficult circumstances anyway. Watford have contrived to make the situation at the club sort of a little bit more complicated than it than it perhaps should be. You know, what what would you say, and I know this is a, this is a big question, but what would you say to support, supporters who are saying, 
they need to bring in experience. They need to bring in a strong head coach that can grab this group of players who you rightly say are talented and not just mould them, but absolutely batter them into shape because that's what it looks like is, is required. And, you know, quite rightly and understandably, you can hear supporters scratching their heads saying to get Watford back into the Premier League is someone who's managed for a year at Dinamo Tbilisi really the answer here. Yeah, I, I, I get that argument. But then I suppose you can you can use other examples of managers that have just come fresh out of the game. Yeah, you don't need to be some vastly experienced head coach. I mean, you look at sort of, you know, the likes of Daniel Farker at, at Norwich, who came from the background in, in Germany. Likewise, with with David Wagner as well, with, with Huddersfield. Ironically, you know, he got them up. You don't have to be vastly experienced. You just need to have a clear philosophy. It, it does show that you can bring in a... A, a, a person that isn't a big name and they can have an impact and I think we also know that the way that the club is run and this isn't going to change the buck stops with with Gino Pozzo if he doesn't like what's going on he's going to make a change we can't pretend that this is going to be any different in the future until you know until he vacates the the role but I suppose he will be thinking this is this is my football club I've put in a you know a decent whack of money um, here and there along the way. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's made a, a decent amount of money as well being you know, in the Premier League over the last five years as well. But this is his ship. He's the captain and he wants to make his choices. And, and ultimately, look, if he doesn't get back into the Premier League and Watford end up languishing in the Championship, then that's what he is going to have as well. Looking into the January transfer window, if you've got some players that you think, right, they're not actually delivering here, either, yes, they can leave, or if you think that they're good enough and they should be playing better, you want to sort of eradicate any excuse that they might have to go, you know what, I'm not enjoying this, I'm getting out of here. If you bring in a new manager that invigorates the place and they are playing better football, then they're probably more inclined to stay. So I'm thinking about the likes of of maybe Etienne Capoue, although I don't think that he is wanting to leave middle of the season. Maybe more like... Ishmael Assar, who's sort of looked a shadow of himself of late, get him playing in his preferred position out on the right-hand side and enjoying football again. And I think that's important going into a January transfer window, which they need to keep their best players if they really do want to push on and get back into the Premier League. A Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is From the Rookery End. Thank you very much to Adam, to Mike, to Jason for being part of this podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, do remember to follow us on social medias at Watford Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and on Instagram. And of course, whenever this thing changes, whenever we find out who is going to be the new man in charge of Watford, uh, we'll probably be back with another podcast to find out a little bit more about them. Do not expect a podcast after the Dorridge game on Boxing Day because, well, we can celebrate Christmas with just our very small amounts of family uh, and we want to make sure we spend that time with them, those that we are allowed to see. So thank you so much for all your support. We're back with another podcast before the end of the year and uh, the roller coaster of life following Watford FC continues and we'll be back very soon. Merry Christmas to you, all your friends and your family.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.